Welcome to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today's message is part of a series entitled Recharge. For more information about our church, simply go to cccsterling.org. again. Welcome to Community Christian Church, and as Dave said, it's really great to have you here. And Dave was right, you're looking pretty good today. How many of you are really happy you're here? It's great. It's more than normal. I am too. I'm glad to be here. It's always great to be in the presence of God, and I I really appreciated uh, Phil's openness to the Spirit there at the end of our uh, prayers and worship time. You know, we're going to do that a little bit more often. We're going to leave room for the Holy Spirit to move if he so chooses to do that. You know, we plan the service out. We believe in preparation, but we also make it a, a, you know, a daily prayer, a weekly prayer, that when we come together, God would be among us and, and move in his way. So thank you for being open to that. I'd like to begin this morning by sharing a passage of scripture that has become one of my favorites in the entire Bible. And I know you hear that often. You hear me use the word favorite passage of scripture. And for me, a passage of scripture will make its way into the arena of my favorite when that particular verse comes alive. And I'm talking about when it's so embedded and ingrained in my heart that it actually becomes a part of me. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That process is what typically happened after Jesus was finished speaking. The word of God came alive. The anointing of the Holy Spirit was on Jesus in such a powerful way that people who for years and years attended church and left church scratching their heads finally got it. And not only did they understand the scripture in a brand new way and see the value of the teaching, they literally fell in love with the word of God. It wasn't just a responsibility to read his word or to understand his word. They loved the word of God when Jesus was done teaching it. I love Psalm 103. Psalm 103 defines me. It's become a part of me. In my 40 plus years of serving the Lord, there are some passages, some verses in this psalm that have resonated deep down in my soul. And this might not come as a surprise to many of you. Psalm 103 is a psalm of David, written by David. David was a warrior, king of Israel. He was also a worshiper. Long before God raised him up as a warrior, he loved to worship the Lord. And in Psalm 103, verse 1, David says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. I think the King James uses the word bless. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. How much of you? All of what that's in me. Everything that is within me. It's just not a casual come into the presence of the Lord and offer some sacrifices. David said he is worthy of all of our praise. 
Praise the Lord, in case you didn't get it the first time. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Namely, he is the one who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. This is one of the verses that really has become a part of me. Because I need Jesus. I need God to forgive me. I need God to heal me. I need God to restore me. I need that every day. And so Psalm 103 says that God sent his son Jesus who forgives all of our sins. He heals all of our diseases. I told you that last Sunday. Do you remember? And after I quoted this verse, I invited you to come to the altar and experience the power of God's presence. And it was such a beautiful sight. So many people, countless people, came forward. They were two and three deep here at the, at the altar. And they were standing in the aisles waiting to be ministered to. And people came forward not just to receive from God, but to give thanks to God. To say, thank you, Lord, for your benefits. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for blessing me. And over the past few days, the testimonies of the goodness of God have begun to pour in. People are different because of what happened here last Sunday. That should excite you. That should cause us to rejoice. Because of God's presence, people are thinking differently. They're behaving differently. They have more faith, more trust in God. And so again, we're going to be doing a little bit more of that in the future, inviting you to come and meet with God and engage God here at the altar. There's something very special that takes place here. And even when we don't have a formal altar call from week to week, if you ever have a prayer need, we always have prayer ministers who are here prepared and ready to pray for you. Every Sunday, as soon as the service closes, before you go get your coffee, if you need a little bit of prayer, you can come forward for that prayer. Now, we, we don't do counseling here. We do that during the week. But here we will pray for you every Sunday. And so we understand from Psalm 103 that he forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. Verse 4 says he redeems your life from the pit. And he crowns you with love and compassion. He doesn't just pull you out of the pit. He puts you on a throne. He crowns you with love and compassion. And above all that, if it wasn't enough, verse 5 says, the God we serve, our God, he satisfies your desires with good things. Can you say that? God satisfies my desires with good things. My God satisfies my desires with good things. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Finally, verse 14, last verse. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers we are dust. That's good right there. For those of you who've been believers for a little while, how many of you have learned 
that God has a better memory than we do. A whole lot better. In fact, he has perfect recall. And something that God remembers that we have a tendency to forget is how he made us. He formed us from the dust of the earth. That's what Genesis chapter 2 says. He gathered some dust and he made man. The New Living Translation says, God knows how weak we are. How vulnerable and susceptible we are to temptation and sin. Jesus had a little something to say about that as well. In fact, he said to his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God remembers how he made us. He knows how weak we are. And yet this great God that David describes in Psalm 103, this incredible God, he doesn't hold our weaknesses against us. Over and over again in the Bible, you will read that he forgives us of our sins. He lets go of our transgressions. He does not hold our failures against us. Because 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, his grace is sufficient for us. And his power is made perfect in weakness. You know, we quote the scripture a lot. We memorize the scripture. But sometimes it doesn't get inside. It doesn't sink down into our hearts where we really understand it. Check this out. God uses human weakness to display his divine power. God uses human weakness to reveal his divine power. And know that is not an excuse to continue to sin. That's not a permit to remain in our weaknesses. Come on. His grace is sufficient for us. His grace can change us. His grace allows us to overcome our failures. But let's not forget who we are. God doesn't forget. He doesn't want us to forget. God formed us from the dust of the earth. And if we're ever going to grow in grace, if we're ever going to get to that place where we overcome our weakness, then we need him. We need God. That is the most profound statement you're going to hear me make today. We need God. And we need to be plugged into God. There's never going to come a time when you don't need God. Even those of you that have been around for a long, long time, and you have many testimonies and experiences of the goodness of God, there is never going to be a day when you are not dependent upon God. That's what the recharge process is all about. That's what recharge means. It means plugged into God. Completely connected to God. Because this life will drain you spiritually. It will deplete you of all of your human and physical resources. And you don't even have to try. Just get out of bed in the morning. And being a part of this life, this culture, this world today... It will throw a bunch of negative things at you. Just normal, everyday living. Doubt and disbelief and discouragement and disillusionment and worry and anxiety. It will come to you in this life each and every day. And on the other side of all those things is spiritual dissatisfaction. And this is the thing that has hit the people of our culture more than anything else dissatisfaction but you know what the scripture says he satisfies us 
He's not a God that dissatisfies. He's a God who satisfies us. That's what Psalm 103 verse 5 says. It's the reason I took you to that psalm today. It's the whole reason why I wanted you to, to see those first 14 verses and the great God that he, he is. And if you don't believe Psalm 103 verse 5, there's a companion verse in Psalm 91 16 that says, with long life I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. This is our God. With long life, that word long in the Hebrew, it includes quantity and quality. It's not just many years, it's many good years. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to live a satisfied life. He wants to fill you with joy and every good thing. In fact, Jesus said, it's the reason I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full. And he wasn't talking about the next reality. He was talking about this one. Thank God for eternal life and how great that's going to be. The scriptures point to us and say it's going to, we, we haven't even begun to imagine how great it's going to be. But that's how God wants us to live today. He wants us crowned with his glory and with his love and his compassion, knowing how much he has committed himself to us. Now, according to the latest research, do you know what our greatest personal desire is? What all of us want, the one thing we want most, we want to be satisfied. Every single person who takes a survey will tell you that their greatest desire is to find happiness and live a meaningful and fulfilled life. Cross the board. That's what we all want. We want to be satisfied. Now, by the same token, do you know what the biggest problem we have is? Yeah, we're never satisfied. Okay, so we want to be satisfied. We want to live a meaningful life. We want to be happy. The problem is we're never happy. We can't keep a smile on our face for very long. And the reason for that is most of us don't know what we want. We don't know what it is. If right now I ask by a show of hands, how many of you in this room believe that God has a plan for your life? Probably everybody, most every hand would go up. If I ask a second question, a follow-up question, how many of you who believe that God has a plan for your life knows what that plan is? Probably wouldn't have many takers. We don't know. All of the time, people come to me and I'm talking about new believers, believers that have been around forever, and they say, I just don't know what God has for me. I, I, I want to know what's next. I want to I know what God's design is for me. We, we don't know that sometimes. You see, we all want to live meaningful lives. We all want to be fulfilled. We want, all want to think that our life counts, and we spend most of our years searching for all that. But apart from God... There's really no way to find it. You can't know it. Unless you are willing to go all the way with God, you're never going to be able to satisfy that ache or that hole in your heart that's, I need meaning and I need fulfillment. All right. Uh, three weeks ago, in lesson number one of this series, I talked about cell phones. Remember, I used that as an illustration. And the reason that I use it as a practical illustration is because, like Dave said, most of us have one. 
So I'm going to ask you at this time to go ahead and grab your phone. We're going to use it this morning, so hopefully you have some battery life left. Now, if you are with us a few months ago, back in June, during our Family Matters series, then you remember that we participated in a little activity where I asked you to evaluate your families in certain areas. We used a scale of one to five. We're going to do that again today, something like that, only this time I'm going to ask you to assess your current level of satisfaction in life. So now that you have your phone out, I'm going to ask you to pull up the Community Christian Church app. If you don't have the app and you didn't download it a few minutes ago, then you can sit this one out. I don't know why you don't have that app on your phone. It should be your most important one. All right. All right, once, the, once the app is up, I'm going to ask you to go to the top of that screen. Is it moving for you? Click onto those three little bars. Okay, and then go to the place where it says survey. Is, that, is it going for you? Is some of you stuck? Okay, you got it? All right, so get ready to answer this first question. And you might want to keep your answers private. Um, somebody's going to be peeking over your shoulder, I'm sure, to see how you're going to score these things. And there may be some questions coming up that you don't want anybody to see. So I just kind of cup your hand over your phone and tell people to, hey, keep their eyes on their own phone. All right, so here's the first question. Are you ready? All right, are you, is it up there? How satisfied are you with your job or, or your employment? And if you don't have a job, how satisfied are you with that? Okay, if you're retired, how satisfied are you as a retired person? Okay. And, and you know what we're asking you to do is to be honest. You know, because people, they say, like, when you're in a group setting like this, people, are, they have a tendency to just kind of give the answer that you, you think we want. Just give the correct answer, okay? Just, just tell the truth. You're in church, for Pete's sake. All right. All right. So, all right. On this one, we're a little bit above average. Okay? Very good. All right, second question. How satisfied are you with your income? And Community Christian Church staff members, keep in mind God is watching. All right. Go ahead and vote there. Boy, you guys are above average. Oh, average is sneaking its way in there. All right, dead tie, dead heat there. Okay, number three, how satisfied are you with your overall financial portfolio, which would include your savings account, your, in, your investments, your debt, All right, taking a dip here. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Appreciate it. All right, let's go to number five, or number four, pardon me, number four. How satisfied are you with your physical condition or with your health? I mean, do you visit the gym at all? Do you do any exercises? How satisfied are you there? And keep in mind how your primary care 
doctor might answer this question. How satisfied is he with your health? Or she? All right. Average there. Great. All right, number five. Again, we're looking for a truthful answer here. How satisfied are you with your weight? Thank Appreciate your honesty. Thank you. All right. All right, let's go to number six. This is the reason why I told you you might want to keep these private. How satisfied are you with your marriage? Oh, it got quiet. And if you're not married, how satisfied are you about that? with being single. <laughs> wow, look at this. That Family Matters series really worked, didn't it? <laughs> Way to go. All right, how satisfied, number seven, are you with your house or the place where you live? How satisfied are you with your furniture? your appliances, your floor covering, the paint on your walls. Talked about that a little bit. Not bad. Above average. All right, how about your car? Next one, number eight. How satisfied are you with your car? Does it work? Does it run? Do you like the color? Wow, that's great. A lot of lease vehicles here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, number nine. How satisfied are you with your stuff? With your clothes, with your technology, with your TV, your phone, your iPad? How satisfied are you if you don't have an iPad? You need a new set of golf clubs. Wow. Very thankful for what we have. It's a great sign right there. Okay, last one. How satisfied are you regarding your relationship with God? If you're on fire for God, let me help you out with this one. If you're on fire for God, that's a five. If you're lukewarm, that's a three. If you didn't make it to our prayer time at all, over the 12 days of prayer and fasting, that's a one. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for participating in that survey. Um, you know, it, it appears as though we have been able to receive from the blessing of God and understand uh, some of the things that I'm trying to teach us today and how important it is to God that we become satisfied and happy with the things that he wants to give to us. Again, Psalm 103, verse 5 says that's one of his objectives, to satisfy us with good things, the best things. But sometimes we don't know what those good things are. I mentioned earlier that we all want to live meaningful lives, but sometimes it's difficult to define what that means. And we all have a hard time with this. We all have a, a struggle from time to time 
with what it means to be completely satisfied with God. Even the people that we think should be 100% satisfied. When we look at them, when we evaluate where they're at, we would say they have everything. They should be satisfied. They should be happy with where uh, they're at in life. But come to find out they're not. How can it be that some people that seem to have it all, they just still have that hole in their heart? Take a guy like King Solomon. The, the, the Bible says that King Solomon was the smartest, wisest, most brilliant man who ever lived. And God was the one who said that. God gave him that title. Every single morning, God sprinkled some wisdom in along with King Solomon's Wheaties. Gave him a very special and divine gift of wisdom. And toward the end of his life, recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes, the book he wrote, Solomon said, I have it all. I have been able to experience everything this life has to offer. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, here's what Solomon said. When I look back on my life, when I evaluate my years of living, Solomon said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and for me this was great reward. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done, when I looked at all I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Friends, you can go right down the line. And you can make a list of everything that you think is important in this life. Everything that should bring us happiness and satisfaction. And you know how Solomon would respond to all that? Been there, done that. And it's vanity. It's meaningless. Everything that we think we would want. And he said it's like chasing the wind. In fact, according to his personal testimony, recorded throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, if he would have taken the same satisfaction assessment survey that we just took, he would not have scored himself greater than a one or a two in any of those ten categories, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, including number ten, his relationship with God. Because even though at one time he had a very special and close relationship with God, he turned his back on God. His heart turned away. He got distracted. He lost his passion and his faith for God. Even though God had appeared to him on at least two different occasions, face-to-face -face conversations with God, and still he rated his, his overall satisfaction with his relationship with God very low. I mean, read the book. Go through the book of Ecclesiastes and listen to what Solomon had to say about this life. Solomon said, I applied my mind to study and explore all that is done under the sun and I have by far the best education of anyone living in Jerusalem and still I'm not satisfied. He said, I've cheered myself with a good bottle of wine countless times. In fact, when you do the math, I probably was drunk more as a king than I was sober. And with regard to satisfaction, you can go ahead and give me a one. Solomon said, I built multiple homes. This is all in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm paraphrasing it, giving you the notes. 
I've built multiple homes, planted beautiful vineyards, designed breathtaking gardens, spent hours and hours in work-related projects, and when push comes to shove, it's all pointless. He said, I've owned chariots of gold and money and wealth and toys, more than you could ever imagine. I've owned businesses and banks and boats and box seats. And after a while, that all gets old. Solomon said, I'm more famous than any other person who ever lived. And my fame stretched to the ends of the earth. Even when the Queen of Sheba came to check me out and to shower gifts on me, she said, I didn't believe what they were saying about you and I had to come and see it for myself. And their description of you doesn't even begin to identify the splendor and the majesty that God has given to you. See, Solomon greatly exceeded his reputation and that, friend, wasn't even enough. And from some of you guys who think it's all about the sex, Solomon had that too. A thousand women the Bible says. That's the number the Bible gives us. 700 wives, 300 girlfriends. And that didn't cut it. Solomon should have been a man who at the end of his life took that assessment that I just gave to you and checked them off one at a time. Five, 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 five. Completely satisfied, completely satisfied. And yet he said it was all meaningless. Meaningless. In the fall of last year, we had a wonderful men's event. We invited ex-Detroit Lion place kicker Jason Hansen to come and spend some time with us and talk to our men. And I was very impressed with Jason. I think I mentioned this to you right after we had that activity. Because not only did Jason come and talk about the things that men like to hear, football and interesting and funny stories, but he also challenged us from the word of God. He appealed to us to passionately pursue God because that was really the only thing that was ever going to amount to much in our lives. You see, for 21 years, Jason Hansen had a very solid relationship with God all during his career in the NFL. And that's not an easy thing to do. He maintained a solid and stable and strong faith in God. And he told us one of the main reasons why he was able to do that is because he watched what happened to other football players. He watched the culture and the environment of the NFL. And some of these players, the top players, as you well know, they make millions and millions of dollars. And with all of that money, countless millions, that puts them in position to enjoy everything that this world has to offer. All of the wealth, all of the toys, all of the self-indulgence and the pleasures that this world has to offer. Everything that we would think is so important and so necessary. And it wasn't enough. It was not enough to fill that void in these men's hearts. And so when Jason Hansen saw Ecclesiastes lived out in the NFL, and it's in our world today, it just drove him to God. It just made him understand and know that his relationship with God is the only thing that was going to satisfy now, during the very first installment of this series, way back when we introduced Recharge to you, I made this statement. I said the sole recharging process is not just doing less. It's doing what counts. 
Maybe you missed it. I hope you get it this morning. It's not just doing less. You know, we have a lot of activity. It's not just doing less activity. It's fully engaging and getting involved in what matters most, what really counts. And so when you prioritize and when you eliminate and reduce some of the activities that is creating a lot of stress for you, when you say, you know what, I've got to get a little bit additional rest and I've got to slow down, those are all good steps in the right direction. But if we're ever going to find the true meaning of life, if we're ever going to be satisfied, then we have to engage God in what counts. This has been my underlying theme for the last month. And I've talked to you about things that you can do practically to plug into God, but this is what really matters, friend, is you have to engage God in what he's called you to do. There are so many things right now that can take away from what God is trying to urge us to get involved in. The pleasures of God. The importance of our relationship with God. The prayer, the devotion, the Bible reading, the church attendance, the being available to our neighbors and to our family members and friends. These are all things that we'll, you'll find great meaning in. And sometimes they slip to the bottom of the list because we have so much activity taken. You, you can lower the activity, but God doesn't want you to just remove activity so you have more couch time. He wants you to engage him in what really matters. And so the million-dollar question as we bring this series to a close, what is the most important thing? What counts? I mean, with all of our aspirations and all of our dreams and our ambitions and the things that we want to do and you know, what's in our heart to accomplish, and these are all good things, what, what is the most important? What's the number one thing? Friend, it's a life fully surrendered to him. It's a holy life. And that holy life, as Phil picked up the burden today, it's not you being good in and of yourself. It's not you being perfect. It's you understanding and recognizing what God has done in you. That's what it means to be holy. He crowns us with holiness. He crowns us with goodness because of the God he is. The number one objective, the most important thing to finding satisfaction so that we could say, yes, God satisfies me with good things. And, and I have a, a five always satisfied in every area because I realize and I understand that the only way I can get to that place of meaning, that place of purpose is a fully surrendered heart to God. It's the only way. You see, in this life with all the ups and downs, all the bumps and bruises, all the trials, the tests, the victories, the accomplishments, the achievements. Nothing compares, listen to me, nothing compares with growing in grace and gaining knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing even comes close. And so we can pursue some of these things that are commendable. Nothing wrong with wanting nice things, but we've already proved they're not what's going to satisfy. In the long run, they don't give us the joy that we're looking for. They don't bring to us the fulfillment that we greatly desire that God's put in our hearts. 
the only way that we're ever going to be able to fill that void is with a fully surrendered life to the purpose of God. The scripture says about David that he fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. I want that testimony. I mean, if you want to build some great things, if, if you're looking for a perfect spouse or you want a perfect body or you got to have perfect hair, big house, sporty car, fancy clothes, all of that stuff, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as it slips below this statement about you that you fulfilled the purposes of God in your generation. That's tops. Yet that's the one that gets pushed to the bottom. All right, this whole month of January, and especially during our 12 days of prayer and fasting, I was reading a verse of scripture over and over again. In fact, it became the theme verse for our prayer and fasting time. It's found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. You know, I've had a long time to be able to sit and just meditate on that verse and tear it apart and, and look at it and, and pray over it. I, I'm so amazed by the instruction we get in the word of God and the order in which God gives it because he always gives us the instruction in order. The way that he spells it out, the way that he rolls it out is the way that he wants us to receive it. This verse through the prophet Isaiah comes this way, arise, shine. Say that, arise, shine. Most of us would like it to come a little different way. We'd rather it be shine, arise. You see, because when you're down in the dumps and things aren't going your way and you're having a difficult time with life and there's some struggles, there's some tests, we would love for God to shine his glory on us first and then we arise. After God would do something for us, after God would hit us with a bolt of lightning or one of his blessings, it's easier to jump up and arise. But that's not what it says. It says arise, shine. In other words, God wants some movement before we see anything happening. He wants some movement by faith. He wants us to take a step toward him and to pick up in the spirit realm what he's saying to us and he wants us to do that before we start to see all of the other light and glory coming our way. And this is happening, Fred. The church of Jesus Christ is catching this. And in 2018, I've said this before, I'm going to prophesy it all year. The church of Jesus Christ is going to rise up. This is our year to come out of our shell. This is our year to take a step toward God. The Lord knows the world needs it, but the church needs it more. We need to give God everything that we have. Our greatest stride this year should be toward God, not in any other direction. Take some baby steps in other areas, but take your biggest stride this year toward God. That's what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Arise, shine. If we were to stand up, if we were to rise up, there's no telling what God's going to do in our obedience to that. Now, we're to close out our service and our series here today with a song and so um, Danielle's going to come in just a second and do that I'm going to pray but bef just before I pray if you're a part of the life group registration team I'm going to ask you during the prayer to just slip out of your seat and make your way to the mezzanine and we'll be joining you in just a few minutes let's bow our heads for prayer
Father, we thank you for the challenge that you've given to us, not only today, but this whole month. Lord, you are setting out some opportunities for the church to experience you like never before. Lord, not only did you speak to us, but you came and visited us in a very special way. Last Sunday, this whole month, Lord, during the prayer and fasting time, your presence has been so tangible and real. Thank you for those who came forward, whose lives were changed. Thank you for those, Lord, who are still waiting upon you. We know this is our year, Lord. It's our year to follow hard after the living God, to fully surrender our hearts to you. And so we do that, Lord, right now in these closing moments. We pray, Lord, that we would hear what it is that you're saying personally to each one of us. And not only do we want to hear, we want to respond. Lord, give us the grace necessary to respond. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to go to cccsterling.org slash media or search CCC Sterling on the App Store for more messages from Community Christian Church.